Warning, MF Uncensored contains adult language and discussion. Listener discretion is advised. We're a couple of misfits. We're a couple of misfits. What's the matter with misfits? That's where we fit in. We're not that being dilly. Don't go wrong with Hello, everyone, and welcome back to MF Uncensored. Don't forget, if you guys are listening to us on the go, you can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and basically anywhere you get your podcast. You can also find us on our website, themisfitfaction.com. I'm Paul, one of the hosts, and I'm just doing the intro for you guys today. So today's episode is definitely a fun one, one that I really enjoyed doing. We are talking to comedian, Hollywood icon, funny man, and just all-around awesome guy, Bruce Valanche. Now, Bruce Valanche is one of those guys that you've seen in Hollywood forever. He's been on Hollywood Squares. He was involved with uh, writing the, uh, well, the famous, infamous Star Wars holiday special, and just huge personality, very distinct look, and just awesome guy. But uh, before we get into that, don't forget, guys, if you uh, haven't already seen it, our brand new store is live on our website, themisfitfaction.com. We have brand new shirts and stickers for you guys on there, so make sure you check it out. We're going to be rotating through our uh, catalog of items every couple of months, so make sure you get them now. We've had a lot of great feedback on the t-shirts so far. We have a lot of fans that have been posting pictures with them. Uh, Big shout out to David Keck and uh, Kristen Sapp who we both did interviews with Kristen a few months ago and David's is coming out later this month and uh, they both got their swag and they've been posting very uh, passionately about it so thank you guys for that also don't forget if you guys are looking to start your own podcast we are always trying to grow our network we want more shows we want more content you can use our affiliate link on podbean.com if you go to podbean.com slash misfit faction you will get a month of podcasting on us that is one free month of podcasting as a thank you from us to you guys or maybe if you guys have your own business or online service that you work on you can advertise on podcasts podcasts are everywhere nowadays there are literally millions and millions of them and if you guys go to sponsorship.podbean.com slash misfit faction you will get a hundred dollars worth of free advertising again that's a thank you from us to all of our listeners especially we love supporting the people that have businesses that have online services anything along those lines again that's sponsorship.podbean.com slash misfit faction also i cannot start an episode without mentioning raise energy from rep sports guys we've been using raise energy here at the studio for months and months almost since the beginning of this show and we love it if you guys are looking for that afternoon pick me up or trying to push through that workout if you guys are looking for the right energy drink we love raise energy so go to repsports.com and use the code misfit89 at checkout to get 20 percent off your off off your order so without further ado after the commercial break we are going to get into our interview with bruce valanche Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of MF Uncensored. If you guys are listening to us on the go, you can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Paul, and I am... I'm very excited. I'm so excited for uh, today's episode. We have a very special guest uh, via Zoom with the clothing optional aspect. And that is uh, <laughs> if you have basically watched any television over the past 30-ish plus years, there's a f- yeah. uh, there's a fair chance that you're going to be familiar with this guy's work. I know I am. And that is Mr. Bruce Valanche. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello. It's a, it's a pleasure. I'm waving to people who I can. Hello. It's but, great to be here. Yeah, we'll just we'll just say what we were doing at the time. 
I, I, you know, I'm feeding the dog and I'm topless. It's raining here. And so everything, everything was just screwed up, you know, electro cyberly because when it rains this town in LA, it freak, they freak out. There's a, like a layer of oil on the streets. And so everybody crashes into everybody else because suddenly it turns slick. That's the beginning. Well, it's and funny. You sit, you sit in outside, you hear the sounds of, <coughs> and then people yelling at each other, you know. In New York, people just forget how to drive when it rains, and that's only everybody's just driving three and a half miles an hour. That's the other thing, yeah. It, New York and uh, L.A., famous for their traffic and, the, and for their acting. Very strange. Exactly right. So, Entertainment capitals. Theater <laughs> capitals of the world. Well, so, all right. Those are my nipples, yes. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, it's I'm only me. I'm myself can... topless. I'm so sorry we can't share this with the world in Zoom, but hey, hey, much better this way. Trust me. At least I didn't put it on Snapchat. That would have been way worse. <laughs> what is this guy doing on his podcast? You got to listen to find What is this? TikTok. <laughs> I just discovered TikTok and it is quite, it's an, it's an adventure in itself. So. Yeah. I just felt like only like teenage girls did it. And I guess that there, there's a market, a large market of people who are after teenage girls for whatever reason. So strange. So, so it has managed to, to morph into something else. And it'll probably wind up, you know, like Tinder or like uh, Tumblr or OnlyFans and just totally be taken over by porn. And then everybody will get outraged and move on to the next platform. And and that you've been in the entertainment business long enough to know that it's always about the next platform. And it's always about what's coming up next. So right. why don't we start at the beginning, right? So I want to say 70s, 1974-ish is so. uh well, that's when I moved. 75 is when I moved out here. I was a journalist at the time. <laughs> I had been a child actor, but never a child star. <laughs> or we'd be having this conversation in rehab <laughs> at Malibu with other Musketeers. But I had, uh, because I was, I, 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 I was heavy and I had a deep voice and I looked 40. I could, was not getting, I was auditioning opposite guys who actually were those things. And, and I was not getting cast. So I fell back on my other skill, which was writing. And I began writing about show business and features generally. And wound up at the Chicago Tribune writing, uh, being a feature writer for them. And I met Bette Midler, who was just starting out. She was uh, a Jewish girl from Hawaii, which already was interesting. Sounds like a setup to a joke. Well, it, it, that was her. Our first joke was uh, it was it was tough being a Jewish girl, the only Jewish girl in the Samoan neighborhood. I can't imagine why. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was the beginning, and she was on Broadway already in Fiddler on the Roof, getting married every night, and on her to go after the show to a club called the Improv down the street and uh, start doing material, uh, singing basically, and occasionally a joke. And her hairdresser would give her a line. And she came to Chicago on her vacation with this act. And I, I knew her manager, so I uh, re- went and reviewed it. And I loved it, loved it. She knocked me out. And I did an interview with her. And she liked the interview, said, this, you're a very funny writer. And I said, well, you're funny. You should talk more on stage. And she said, you got any lines? And that was the beginning. And I began, and it was 50 years ago. I'm clutching my left breast now. <laughs> Located somewhere near my heart. Uh, and she, I began writing for her, and that, and that was how it started. People would come through town, and they knew who I was through her. Or I would do, you know, I, I would meet them through my job at the trip, mm-hmm. and I began writing for a lot of other people. And after five years of that, I, we sold CBS a, a TV series starring a group called the Manhattan Transfer, which had been started by a guy whose whose sister was Bet's dresser. 
So we were in it on the ground floor of the transfer and, and they, they got a summer TV series replacing Cher. And I was already writing for Cher from a distance. I was writing for Cher, Sonny and Cher, Sonny without Cher, Cher without Sonny, Sonny and Cher, I hate you, but I need the money. I mean, there were many, very, many degrees of six degrees of Sonny and Cher. So, and I came out here and I stayed because there was, it was the, the very end of variety television. When I came out here, there was a Carol Burnett show and a Dean Martin show and a Mac Davis show and a Flip Wilson show. And all of that went away when cable came in mm-hmm. because uh, you no longer had to wait around to Thursday at eight o'clock to see somebody who you liked. You could go to HBO and you could get Madonna every hour on the hour or MTV. You could see, see these people constantly. So uh, variety kind of dried up. It became award shows. And I, I wound up specializing in those and writing for the people on them. And now, speaking of a show that you wrote for and you were also yes. involved with, a lot of people know you, Hollywood Squares. Then after 20 years of that, they came to me and asked me to be the head writer on the, the latest iteration of Hollywood Squares. So, of course, I said yes. And then they went to Whoopi, who I've been working with for years, and, and asked her to be the head square, the center square. Mm-hmm. And so she said yes, and so I was writing a lot for her, and she said, oh, I think Valance should host the show. So, you know, they thought she was nuts, but they weren't going to piss her off this mm-hmm. early in the game, so they tested me. So I got to do it, said, this is for the win, Louise. And they said, well, you know, you're not exactly mainstream. We're looking for something a little bit more relatable to the Irving average audience. So, But they put me in the square next to her, thinking, I probably thinking I would tame her. Okay. And she's untamable. And as she's very fond of saying, they didn't realize that, that I'm really, she, she would say it. She said, they didn't realize that I'm really a gay Jewish man and you're really a black woman. <laughs> I don't know how Which people I get say, that confused. Ask anybody who slept with me, they will tell you that's the truth. <laughs> so meanwhile, we had a good time with each other. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, a, after six years of that, you know, when you're on TV every night, you get offered approached to do all kinds of things and among the, the things i auditioned for was hairspray mm-hmm. so i shaved my beard and i played the mother in hairspray for two years on the road and on broadway and and you know now i became a person that i go to airports and people surround me for selfies and while we're doing that somebody walks by and say who's that it's like the best of both worlds <laughs> yeah exactly it's not like you know it's not like brad pitt where he has to you know have people buy his clothing for him yeah because he, he'll get mobbed everywhere but but it's nice. It's, it's nice that you know that you walk in places that go, oh hello, like they know you, mm-hmm. and then they they're nicer to you. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing, right? Yeah, it's, it's that's that's the best part of fame. The best part, the unexpected part, part of fame. Uh, yeah, I mean, the worst part of fame for me is that as an actor, I'm iconic. My look is iconic, and and people look at me and they go, well, you know, he, we have to totally change his look to play the part, which I wanted, which I would do. But not for you know, not for no money, <laughs> and and if it was if it was something real, yeah, I would do it. But they just they just think it, it sends the audience down the wrong road when I show up mm-hmm. looking like me. So that's the worst part of it. The nice and the other part that you keep forgetting about is that you meet a lot of people, and they're it's it's very they know you, you don't know them, and. Uh, it'll be it's a big deal for them and they'll remember this for the rest of their lives and if you if you are you know if you're if you're an asshole they remember that that's what they say so and I, and I got that from observing famous people for 20 years before I got famous and I realized that that you just have to always be on you know nice patrol 
because they were my mother. My mother, I, I did. I worked with Marvin Hamlish a lot, and my mother finally met Marvin at something, and she had gone to camp with his mother, and she was so excited to tell him this, and she, she told him I was a kid, and he just kind of looked at her and said, "Really," and turned away and talked to somebody else. From that day forward, whenever I mentioned Marvin's name, she would go, "That shithole! What a, what a miserable person!" What a, she would never let go. Okay. There were many things of which she would never let go, but that's just a minor thing she would never let go. And she's not alone in that. A lot of people are like that. It's like, oh well, you know. I met I, I met her, and she was she was she was kind of rude. She was oh she tore me a new one or whatever you know. Yeah, a lot of people, that, that's just what they remember. They remember all these these negative things, these negative interactions, especially when it comes to, to celebrities. You always hear the stories about like, you know, celebrities that go into coffee shops and they were rude, or, but they could have been just working for like 20 hours or something ridiculous. People just don't understand. When you go on uh, weight loss programs and of the 12-step variety, and they tell you to, they, they teach you the HALT method, mm -hmm. which is H-A-L-T. Uh, before you eat, are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Are you tired? Examine those things before you put the fork in the potato. <laughs> I, just, and, I just eat because I'm hungry. You know, and, and because that's generally how a lot of people meet a lot of people. Mm -hmm. That's what you are at that moment. And that, so you react that way. You're, you're in a vulnerable state. But, you know, nobody wants to know that, you know, nobody wants to know that Taylor Swift was, was hungry. <laughs> they want to know. All they think is Taylor Swift dissed me, and that's know. what everybody wants to talk about. That's that's who... all I remember, and I'm I'm making this up. I've never heard that about her, but it's just the name I pulled out of, she out be of a my lovely... old recordings that I'm that I'm redoing. She could be a lovely person for all we know, but there was that one time. <laughs> but so you you mentioned uh, you know talking about your trademark look, and I gotta ask how how did the trademark look the the Bruce Valanche come about? <laughs> Yeah, it, it was cumulative. First of all, I was a fat kid, and my mother was a real controlling kind of OCD person, and she—I always had to look just so. Mm -hmm. I mean, the kind euphemism for this is perfectionist, but it's beyond the valley of perfectionism. It is—it's—it's a—it's a clinical condition, mm -hmm. and she and I always hate. So I was always dressed up, and you know, when when you're fat, nothing fits. Nothing's ever made you know, for fat kids. And, and so I was wearing ties and I couldn't breathe and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, somewhere in the back of my head, I determined the moment I got out of her, uh, off of the leash, I was going to dress the way I wanted, mm -hmm. which turned out to be t-shirts <laughs> and easy things and, and, you know, big clothes to get into. And I moved to LA and in LA, you can go virtually anywhere in a t-shirt, mm -hmm. especially if you're famous enough, you can, you can go in a torn t-shirt. And it was at the beginning. I had the layered look when I was still in Chicago. I would have, I would have two shirts. I'd wear a shirt and a shirt over it, so it kind of was smock like. And then it was it was a shirt over a t-shirt. And then I ditched the other shirt when I got to a warm place. And uh, so that was a look. For, and and it was the seventies. And I, ironic t-shirts were in what were just coming into vogue. Uh, you know, I'm with stupid with an arrow, yep, point, yep. that kind of thing. So I had a I had a ball doing all of that. And then I was always a hippie, and the, the trip made me cut my hair, and then, because they were very conservative paper, and then when they discovered they could market me as a hippie, they let me grow my hair. And so I was the guy who went to the rock concerts and who reviewed Metallica, you know, and, and the stuff I'd never had in the paper before. Mm -hmm. And so 
I, I, and I grew a beard for, I, I was in a movie. I was in an Italian picture called, it was called, excuse me, my name is Rocco Papaleo. Permette Rocco Papaleo. It has the distinction of being the only Marcello Mastroianni movie to flop in Italy. Hmm. And this was a big deal because Marcello Mastroianni was like, you know, Tom Cruise, Bradley Cooper, all of those guys in one. He was a huge, huge international star. And he made this picture in Chicago. And I, and I had to have a three-day growth of beard for six weeks. And it's the itchiest, as you probably know, oh, the yeah, itchiest yeah. time and when you just start growing it. And every day we'd, I had to shave it back and it was a nightmare. And I, when it was over, I said, I am never shaving again. And so for 31 years, I had a beard. So I looked like a furry freak brother. And, and I always had to wear glasses. And when I got on Hollywood Squares, well, I did another movie for Sidney Lumet called The Morning After with Jane Fonda. And it was his only movie he made in Hollywood. And he said, everybody in this picture is going to be blonde. So I went blonde. And that, I never looked back. Yeah. And my mother said, oh, that's your original color. I said, oh, good. And then I had to wear glasses every night. I wore glasses. And so in Hollywood Squares, I kept changing them. I would get different glasses every night. And uh, the red glasses were the ones that stuck, which was good because when the prescription changed, I would have to take a second mortgage on the house to get all the glasses changed. So that's how the look, the, the look evolved. And then when I did hairspray, they made me shave because they said nobody will buy. They'll buy that a man's playing this woman but they will not buy that that this woman has a hormone problem. It was a little too John Waters. So so I shaved and here I am. That that is the 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 genealogy of the look. Which I've never explained that way before and I'm now I think I have a podcast of my own I got to do. Oh, that's awesome though. I love it. Like, you know, it's it's funny. Hollywood <laughs> is so filled with people who try and create their look and they're like this is the thing that I do and yeah. this is and to, to hear how that well, happens is always fun. I think that's why people put up with it, because they know it's organic. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I meet a lot of people, and I think, boy, he's trying very hard to be a character. Yeah. You know, he's somebody who will be noticed in, in the crowd. And, and, of course, you know, we all have little things to do. You know, Barbara Streisand dropped the, an A out of her first name. And Bette Midler, who to this day maintains her mother named her after Betty Davis, but in England they call her Bet Davis. And mm -hmm. since her mother was a Jewish girl from Jersey, I don't quite know how that reads, but whatever it is, she certainly automatically made her stand out from other people who were named Betty, mm -hmm. the that spelling, and, and so forth and so on. I mean, everybody, a lot of people come up with things just to, to, to give yourself a, a little edge, you know, over all of that. And, you know, there's Madonna, there's Cher, there's, there's all the one named people. Everybody's got to have a gimmick nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Make it make it easy. You got to stand out because in this world, like we were talking about, like TikTok and Snapchat and all that stuff, it's easy to get everywhere. It's a lot. Like it's it's not like it was yeah. even just like 10, 15 years ago. Like if you wanted to be an actor, or you wanted to be famous, there was a process and work to it. Nowadays, this is what, what I always tell people to say, "How do I get started?" I said, "Well, when I was getting started, it was much harder. You actually had to produce something. You actually had to." you know, auditioned. Now you put yourself on YouTube or TikTok, mm -hmm. Snapchat or Eat Shit, whatever the, the, the latest thing is. And you, you know, you create yourself. Randy Rainbow created himself on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And he's brilliant and funny. He's a friend of mine. And he's, uh, I mean, it's wonderful that he could do that. That guy who spent uh, a year going, leave Britney alone, is, you know, now has a house in Malibu. So, 
you know, it's hard to judge. This is the way it is. This, you know, and it's, it's so much easier. The downside of that is a lot of people who really should be discouraged mm-hmm. are encouraged. Pauline Kael uh, wrote, Hollywood is where you can be encouraged to death. And that's what the internet is. The internet is where you can be encouraged to death. As long as there's a kickstart and the GoFundMe and all of that stuff, people who really should not be doing this stuff are, are enabled. They feel like they, they, they have, you know, oh, look, I have I have 300 hits, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. That, you know, not hits like, you know, like Cole Porter had 300 hits, they had, you know, or the Rolling Stones had 300 hits. They have 300 people who, you know, clicked <laughs> looked for a second and went away oh yeah i mean we we made our very first tiktok for for our podcast network and it's literally just a, a short little intro of just you know what we do and just like to some music and in like mm-hmm. a couple of minutes it's like why do we have 50 likes it's like the it's like the most boring video like of all time but that's just what people do they scroll through and they they just like things they watch them for a couple of seconds and scroll to the next it's a lot of yeah yeah but uh, you've been. Well, in- that's what Netflix. That's why everybody is so mad at Netflix because Netflix and, and in fact all of them, Hulu, Amazon, Peacock, the works, they measure their audience in how many eyeballs were on the screen for how long. Mm-hmm. They'll say, "Well, we got seventy million people who watched for at least an hour." You know what? What does that mean? That means they 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 hated. They all looked at Red Notice because. It had Rock the Dwayne Johnson and Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot, but they all turned it off after an hour. Mm-hmm. They said, this is crap, and they turned it off. Is that what that means? So how effective was the 70 million people? It, you know, it's impossible to say, but people have been arguing about ratings for years and years because it's, a, it's a, a statistical sample, and you have to believe what Nielsen says, which is if if – if they get if they have twelve hundred people who they they base the rating on and it's random, and thirty of them went out to, went out to grandpa's to visit and didn't watch TV, that means thirty million people went to grandpa's and didn't watch TV. But you, it's, it's a, you, if you buy random sampling, you have to you can't argue it. Mm-hmm. I mean the that ne- was interesting, wasn't it, folks? Well, I mean <laughs> for anybody who's interested in the Nielsen rating system, I mean I. I think it's. it's... <laughs> well, I was at, when I was at the trip. I was, among other things, a TV critic, and uh, and I always said back then, I said uh, the, the the sad part is <clears throat> the methodology of what of of measuring who watches is so much more interesting than the shows that th- themselves mm-hmm. that are being watched. And then along came All in the Family, Norman Lear, and all that stuff, and the landscape began to change. Yeah, but, and even more so now with, with DVR <laughs> and Netflix and all these, these well, yeah. available. Well, now, of course, you know, broadcasting has become narrow casting mm-hmm. because uh, the audience uh, used, to have at le- used to, have, to have at least a third of, of the of the available audience watching you to stay on the air, which in prime time meant you had to have at least seventeen million people watching you. Oh wow! And uh, back then, yeah, and and now it's like if you get ten watching you, that's a, that's a big audience, mm-hmm. and 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 football gets you know twenty, which is huge. So it's it's because there are so many more options now. Mm-hmm. And then you get uh, like a station but, like the CW that'll have a show that pulls in two million people, yeah. and they're like, "That's big for us. We're going to keep the well, show yeah, on for I thirty mean, years." If, if four hundred thousand people watch Riverdale, 
odds are there are 400,000 teenage girls mm -hmm. who are waiting for K.J. Appa to take his shirt off and to find out what the latest is in the Reggie Veronica romance or whatever the, the story is. And if you're selling tampons, that's your target market. Mm -hmm. you're, you're selling and because they're just using tampons for, for the first time and you want a lifelong customer there. So that's where you put, you put your time. And I don't mean to choose them for vulgar reasons, although it is kind of funny. But, but seriously, that is the audience. That's the YA, the young adult audience. Mm -hmm. And, and if, if you're an advertiser and you want the most efficient bang for your buck, that's where you do it. That's why football, you see every truck in the world is advertised on football because who's watching it? People who drive trucks. That's who's watching. I'm so, guilty. I'm guilty. Along with a lot of other people. I, I drive it's, a truck. That's the so. best example because that's a real four, what they call a four quadrant show where old, young, male, female, they're all watching. Mm -hmm. So, but so, so you look at these numbers and you go, well, you know, not that many people tuned in, but you know, like Spencer Tracy said about Catherine Hepburn, there wasn't much of her, but what was there was cheers. <laughs> Love it. So, you know, one of the biggest things, and I, I, I need to bring it up because, you know, obviously it's also the holiday season, so I'm going to ask. You are quite well known for a little film called The Star Wars Holiday Special. Yeah, carving the tombstone now. <laughs> yes, he wrote it. Yes, he co-wrote it. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny because people talk about The Star Wars Holiday Special, and it's got a, a little bit of a cult following nowadays. You know, like yeah. people look at it very differently. Well, yeah. Like it, it's it's an interesting beast in itself, and especially now with, with Star Wars being so prominent in in media. It's a cult following, like Jeffrey Dahmer has a cult following. You know, it's it's like uh, it's it's like a hate cult following. It's like we are united in our hatred of this and and our our ridiculousness, our, our lampooning it, and our and it starts, of course, with you know the, the the hardcore group that felt betrayed by George because he even did it. Yeah. But but I what I often I, I mean, I say several things about this thing whenever I'm asked. One is that if we'd known that 45 years later people would still be talking about it, we might have paid closer attention. And it was the 70s, and so everybody was chemically altered. And I joke about Carrie Fisher and, and I snorting the sweet and low. But then I see stories saying, uh, Valange, who admits to copious cocaine abuse during the... Wait, I didn't admit to that. I was making a joke. So, mm. you know, I mean, if it adds luster to me, fine. But I don't want people to think that I was off my head. It was what we, we did, those crazy shows in those days. But the other thing that really upsets people is when I tell them that when we did the show, a lot of people were not that impressed with Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Star Wars was a big summer movie the year before. And a phenomenon, it was a blockbuster, and, and nobody was exactly sure why, because to older people, it reminded them of the Republic Studio serials that they used to go see as kids on Saturday morning. And in fact, George borrowed a lot of things from those, the, with the wipes and, and the whole episodic, the thing at the scrolling up the mm -hmm. screen with the, you know, at the beginning, that's all, that's all old B-movie stuff. And so they weren't knocked out by it. And, and George was about to do The Empire Strikes Back, and he was trying to stir the pot with this thing and sold one of the, his leftover stories to CBS as, as a thing. And what happened was it, it was funny and, and terrible and did okay in the ratings and was forgotten pretty much. And then generations came, along came the, the uh, VHS and a generation that had not seen Star Wars movies as kids, watched them as kids on VHS. 
And then came the internet. And so they got to really go crazy with the internet and they found this special and they saw it. And by that time, Star Wars had become the Scientology of the nerds. And it, it, it took on religious aspect. And even George, you know, made fun of that. And they, they would see this show and they would say, how could he betray us like this? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and fortunately, and so George was very busy burning every copy he could find. And of course it was too late, you know, that the internet ship had sailed. And so it just, and then every time when he did the back three movies that he had always planned to make, he'd always planned to make six pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it surfaced every time. And then when Rebel One came out and when Solo came out and then when the, the new generation of movies came out, it, 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 now it won't go away. It, it cannot be. It can, and he finally acknowledged that when he let Lego do the, a, the, a Star Wars holiday special that referenced it. Mm-hmm. And I think partially that's because he's determined to get Life Day as a holiday. With, you know, and and I, I, I keep saying that there's already, you know, May Fourth, May the Fourth be with you. Yeah. Star Wars out there, but and, and you know, I guess I, I'm sort of like a, a half-ass beneficiary because I keep having to talk about the thing. It, it remains current. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there's always. I mean, like you're much younger, and it, it it's something. It's in your world. So so I, you know, but people people often get you know people who are really invested in, in the whole Star Wars mythology get very annoyed. When I say, you know, it had humble beginnings. Yes, it was a big hit, but it wasn't well thought of by a whole lot of people. Right. It was it was not, it wasn't badly thought of. It just was, it, it was dismissed. It was, well, that's a thing. That's a, that was a phenom and it'll go away. And of course, it didn't. <laughs> Star Wars is one of the best examples of, of how bad a fandom can actually get. I mean, you, you look at the fans of Star Wars and they're, they're one of two <laughs> camps. They're either, we love Star Wars or it's the, we hate everything. We hate. Oh, it's... Well, that's that's actually a serious reason that motivated George to try and get rid of the show because mm-hmm. he was getting death threats. And he was, I mean, yeah, some people are crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, mean they, and they 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 they're living in that world, you know. And it's it's always hard. I mean, if you go to Comic Con, it's very difficult to say this guy is living it and this guy is playing it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like uh, certain sex parties, if you've ever done those, where or you go to Berlin and you realize that these guys are not fooling around. These guys, this is their life. They are living leather. I love it. But it's, that, I said that was a little side detour. But, uh, I'll, I'll take any detour, all the detours, <laughs> all the distractions, all the detours. That's literally what I signed up for. I love it. But, oh, it, you know, it's funny you mentioned uh, Comic-Con. The first time I ever went to Comic-Con, I wore a Superman shirt. And I was like, oh, you know, we're going to Comic-Con. I'm going to wear it. I, Superman, I like Superman. He's my favorite superhero. People fought me about a Superman shirt. Like, they're like, this character can beat Superman. I'm like, uh, I'm just going to the merch tent. I'm like, yeah, exactly, yeah. Just going to buy a churro. Leave me alone. Yeah. Leave me alone, exactly. It's just a cost. It's, it's kind of like, it's only a joke. Exactly. And, you know, I love that you say it because we, we live in a world where people are, are almost scared to make jokes now. So... Well, so- Somebody, somebody wrote an article, and I wish I could remember it. I have to look it up. But the, the, the title explained it all. The title was Everybody's Hitler. Oh, boy. And it was, it was you do something, and, and you, write, you say something, and they'll say, that's just like Hitler. That's mm-hmm. what Hitler would say. That, that's how Hitler started. And, of course, it only applies to certain cases like Trump, where he really did use the Hitler playbook. A little bit. But, 
Yeah, but I mean, you know, neutralize the media and demonize uh, the people who who are opposed to you and all that is all is all out of the Hitler playbook. And but generally, it, it's it's now come to cover everything. You know, if you don't like, if you don't, you're wearing a Superman shirt. You're Hitler. <laughs> you're a terrible it. person. How could you do that? Basically, because you're treading on my epic belief, whatever yep. my epic belief happens to be. So how do you take you're, – you're a big writer. You've done the Oscars. You've done jokes for, for famous comedians. You've, you've been around for like some of the best of the best. Do you take things into the account like that during your writing process or do you just – You have to. I mean now, especially now you have to and, and I, I'm, I'm very glad in a way that I'm, I'm not somebody who has to come out every night you know, or has to go in every day and hand Jimmy Kimmel 18 jokes mm-hmm. the way – they used to have to hand Johnny Carson 18 jokes by 2.30. But they're all they're these guys, Colbert, Kimmel, Corden, Samantha B, Trevor Noah, uh, Seth Meyers, Jimmy Fallon. They're, every night, these people have to go out there and, and be funny. Mm-hmm. And be funny and topical. And, it, you know, you're stepping on everybody's toe when you do that. I mean, there's... And I understand, you know, that, <clears throat> I understand that after the things have changed and, and you... And, but it's unfortunately a lot of that stuff is death to comedy. It might be that it's just as well, you know. I mean, I'm a member of many minorities and at least one majority, fat people. And I mean, you know, and I love the idea of that fat shaming has now finally come under the microscope. And you know, I I I wrote a million fat jokes myself, and that's because I'm fat and I thought I had I had the franchise. <laughs> and I'm gay and I'm Jewish, and so I could make jokes, you know about gay and I can call other gay guys fags and it's okay. Just like rappers use the N-word all the time and somehow they get a pass. But let anybody else try and, oh my God, you're the racist and you must be canceled. Go live in a hovel. So it's it's become a very difficult time. But you always have to kind of keep that in mind. And, and you know, one general rule used to be, did anybody die? You know, if you're going to make jokes, did anybody die? And when does that, like, you know... Is the Titanic safe? <laughs> you know, or I would, I mean, I sometimes say I do a joke about an experience I had with a Japanese woman farting in an inappropriate place. And I said, really, when was the last time you heard a Japanese person fart? Hiroshima? And I get, ooh, and I say, too soon? Is somebody it was here from there? Is too somebody soon? here from Hiroshima? But it's, but yeah, but it's the the whole idea. It's like everybody's Hitler. It's like yeah, I went to the, I went to this extreme because because the other trope I'm using is the Japanese people are very self-contained. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, it's an interesting image because everything is contextual in the context of this story. It makes sense. So so you're always you're always kind of juggling that. It's like I I did a joke the other day and. Somebody called me out on it. There was, oh God, something happened. Oh, it was the uh, tornado hit Bowling Green, Kentucky. Right. And, and I said, oh, well, Kellyanne Conway finally has her Bowling Green massacre. Uh, you know, it was a callback to what what sewer rat Barbie said years ago. She made up she made up a, 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 a shooting incident. And mm-hmm. don't forget the Bowling Green massacre. And there was no Bowling Green massacre. She made that shit up. And... Uh, and somebody said, you know, people died in that tornado, and uh, you might want to rethink doing that joke at all. And and she was right, this person who called me out on it. And I, and so I, you know, I, I deleted it. Mm-hmm. 
because you know it, when people die, it's you know, I mean, it it becomes a real gallows humor kind of joke. Those jokes don't go away. Yeah, they just become the great unspoken jokes that you know people tell each other in the hushed confines of the dressing rooms of comedy clubs. <laughs> So tell me a little bit about Where Louis C.K. is beating off oh, to, to whatever waitress comes by. <laughs> that took a dark turn really quick and I love it. Yeah. I see. I'm one of those people. I have I've like I like humor. Humor is just such a and it's so subjective. And I, I whenever I watch something, I always try and watch it through every lens that I possibly can. You know, I may not relate to it, but I could still laugh. Yeah. I could still laugh about it. And I, and I love that you're the type of comedian, the type of writer that. You know, you, you say it like it is, and it's and it's funny because it's true, and yeah. it's a lot of fun. So, what is your writing process like? How how like if you're gonna write a joke, like where does it start? Well, panic is the mother of invention, <laughs> and <clears throat> generally it's because I have a task. I have I've got to deliver something to somebody, mm-hmm. or if it's just to myself or when I'm performing. Uh, excuse me, I have to come up with something new. And so you just, you cast your eye around the world. Well, like the Bowling Green thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, here was this this thing I thought, when I saw Bowling Green, I immediately thought, oh, there's a joke there because of uh, what the Scarecrow Barbie did uh, when she she invented the Bowling Green Massacre. So that's how how that is the warning. Mm -hmm. And I guess that you just kind of, it, it, it comes to you. You either, it's a way you have of looking at the world. And I don't know exactly how it develops, but it does. And I mean, some people will look at something and, and it won't occur to them. And I mean, I can look at, this is biblical. I can look at a field and say, well, that's pretty. Somebody can look at a field and say, this would, this is a good field for corn. And they'll buy it and they'll plant corn. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's, it's a biblical description of a good wife. She considers a field. Yeah. Is one of the one of the things that a good wife does. In other words, she knows what that field will yield mm-hmm. for her family. So, and it's kind of the same things. I mean, you either have that that thing or you don't have that thing. So that's where it comes from. I love it. This is so highfalutin. I can't believe. It. <laughs> well, we are winding down on our time together, so I do want to ask one question. Um, Eleven inches. Everybody asks. I, and, how did you know? I, it was like you're in my head. Because they can't contain themselves. Neither can I. They just they they have they burn to know. Everybody, all my listeners. Now they're gonna know. So that's out, uh, that's out of the way now. Yes. So and, then I'll ask you. I'll ask you a follow up question then. <laughs> who is who's your inspiration? Like who really like when you think of your stuff? Who comes to mind? Well, again, it's whoever I'm working with at the time. But uh, I mean, when inspiration, I mean, obviously my my muse is, if I didn't say it was Bette Midler, I'd be a fool because mm-hmm. we've been doing it for half a century. And it, it just keeps, you know, it's, she's she's my, my fave. But I mean, there are people who who I, who inspire me. I mean, Steve Martin is uh, brilliant and, and he's such an oddball. And Letterman is another one. I mean, these oddball guys who, who just have a, such a skewed look at, at the world. I mean, I, I, and George Carlin, I mean, I admired him, Richard Pryor, and I wrote for all of these people, but, and at the time they were, they were who was inspiring me, but I, I don't have them as such, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like that. I mean, as an actor, obviously not, well, maybe not obviously, but I always, I, I was a musical comedy guy and I liked the fat guys, you know, Zero Mostel, Jackie Gleason, Nathan Lane, who's a good friend of mine who I write with. And I mean, I, I love those guys who were, who were, uh, 
in 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 film they they tend to be the sidekicks mm-hmm. but in, on stage they are their center stage because the personalities are so huge that they that they have to be like Harvey Feierstein who I followed in Hairspray you know I mean there's no bigger personality than that that's awesome so I love that <laughs> Caught me off guard. I wasn't ready. But so before we sign off, what, any upcoming projects, anything that we can look forward to in the near future? Oh, a bunch of stuff I can't promote. It's terrible. I got nothing to plug and I do these shows anyway, except I will be. Where will I be? I think I'll be in uh, Fort Lauderdale, March 12th, where the boys are at a new theater called The So I'll be there. It'll probably be spring break. And hopefully we will have gone through this variant and maybe even another one. Oh, God. Uh, so, so it's a long range plug, but I, I, I got nothing more. I got nothing uh, live more, re- more, it's just kind of, kind of all coming back. And now everything is you know, slowly being canceled. So who knows? So basically you'll, you'll be hearing about a few things, uh, some television things upcoming that, of which I cannot speak. So basically you're telling me I have to email you again in March and just yeah, kind of fo- follow any, up again. Any old time. Any old time. Perfectly. Either. Oh yeah. Well, for those of you guys, obviously people don't know, but the email exchange between the two of us was one of my favorite ones ever. Oh great. It, it was well, just, I like the name. What misfit? What are the? What are the you misfit faction? Yep, that's our, our little. I thought, oh, this is a Marilyn Monroe queen, and we're <laughs> going to have a whole discussion about Marilyn and the polka dot dress and all of that stuff. And then you know, there's already another movie called The Misfits, which keeps showing up on cable. At, yep. Uh, and it, I forget what it is. It's. it's it's kind of like it's an action picture is all I can think of, but, or it might be like teenagers in a in a house trapped with a slasher or, or a, a supernatural force. There's lots of that. Lot I, of you that. know, I surf all the time. The thumb is very busy checking out what's on oh, Showtime, Showtime Extreme, or whatever those channels are. HBO Go, Max Prime, French yeah, really, version, all of it, Everything. all of the above. Well, mm-hmm. Bruce, thank you so much for coming on tonight. This was a blast. Okay. I really hope uh, okay. I can get you back on again. And uh, you have a good rest of your day, all right? You too. Enjoy Putnam. Enjoy good old <laughs> Putnam in the 20-degree weather. Oh, it's pretty, though. It's, oh, it's so pretty. Yeah, it is pretty. But thank you <laughs> so much. It's above Rockland, or is it? it it's in the bef- area. It's right around Rockland. Rockland, Rockland and Dutchess and, and, and all that. Before Sullivan. And, and Oh, yeah. we're Sullivan's a little bit further up our, our right. way. And yep. Duchess and all that stuff. Because I, I now have friends in all of them. They've abandoned the city. Oh, yeah. No, and, nobody wants and, to live in the city anymore. Yeah, they've abandoned the city. And, and even Brooklyn was too much for them. Oh, I can imagine. Now, yeah. too, much, too many guys pork by hats and baby strollers. They said, no, no, I want to go to the country. To the country <laughs> where there are fields. Nothing yep. but fields. <laughs> Thank you again, Bruce. Take right. care. I don't think I've ever laughed so hard during an interview. I'm going to apologize right now for the amount of laughter that I threw in. But uh, for those of you guys listening, Bruce um, was so generous with his time and uh, just so generous with arranging this and just so quick to, to really jump in with me. And, you know, when we talked in the pre-interview, he was very open and honest about, like, what he wanted to talk about what and when I asked him, you know, what don't you want to talk about? He literally said, I'm an open book. You ask away. So I want to thank Bruce for uh, spending some time with me this afternoon. And hopefully we're going to get him back on the show 
really soon, especially if he's got uh, projects up in the works. But I want to thank you guys for listening. This was a great interview. I had a blast with it. If you guys, again, listening to us on the go, you can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, basically anywhere you get podcasts. You can also find our website, themisfitfaction.com. There you'll find links to all of our other podcasts, including the Multiverse Fancast, MF Uncensored, and Cinematic Adventures. Make sure while you're there, you uh, download, you check out our contact page, so that way if you guys are looking to be a guest on the show, that's the way to do it. You can also find us on YouTube, the Misfit Faction Media Network. You can find us on Instagram at the Misfit Faction, and you can find us on Twitter at Misfit Faction. The titles get shorter just as the episode starts to wind down. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Paul, and we will be back next time.